Hello, everybody, and welcome. My name is Sean Haas, and I'm working on a new exciting project here for you. It is a brand new podcast called The Chamber Pod, and I'm here with the lovely Amanda Creed. Amanda, tell them what we're going to be talking about today. Yes, so we have a full review of the 12-14-20 episode of WWE's Monday Night Raw. Uh, It should be a good one as they were doing their go-home episode in preparation for the TLC pay-per-view this Sunday. We will probably be doing a podcast reviewing that as well, but we will stay on topic tonight. And focus just on Raw. Are you excited? Yeah! (laughs) Alright, good. We are too. So, Raw opened tonight with a very interesting segment with The Miz doing a reading of The Nightmare Before TLC. You forgot Twas. Ah, yes. That's correct. (laughs) You must have the Twas. uh, Always. Always. The Twas is the most important part. It is. Yeah. Forget Nightmare. Forget Before. Forget TLC. It's all about the Twas. All about the Twas. It's also (laughs) all about John as Braveheart. Yeah. I I gotta admit, he is one of the better suited superstars to play Braveheart in this case. William Wallace. The only person better suited would be the true parody. Right. Which is... Drew. Right. So, of course, this is in the build for the AJ Styles versus Drew McIntyre TLC match that'll take place on Sunday. It is for the WWE Championship. And The Miz, you would wonder, what's his interest in that match? He's not involved. John Morrison's not involved. So what's the deal? Well, in fact, The Miz is the Money in the Bank briefcase holder after winning it from Otis For those of you that are new to the wrestling world, the Money in the Bank briefcase is something that allows you a free title match whenever you decide to. So The Miz is sitting in the ring telling this story of the nightmare before TLC and saying perhaps he has an interest in this match because he'd like to cash in and be the WWE champion by the end of that night, Sunday. Do you think he will? I think it's interesting. I I think I'll get into that a little bit more later when we talk about the main event. But I don't think that he's going to cash in. I think that this is a classic misdirection by WWE to get us thinking one thing because they talked a lot about how it's the first time that it's been one-on-one between AJ Styles and Drew McIntyre. But I think they're trying to get us to think well, Miz is going to get involved when, in fact, he's not. I think it's just good suspense, good drama for the show. We might get, like, a fake, like a fake cash-in or something goes wrong with it, but I think this is going to really be one-on-one AJ Drew. It is certainly a Miz direction. Yeah. (laughs) Perfect. That was great. Uh, I do think the build for the AJ Drew match has been really really good they're making both both um competitors look really strong they've introduced some interesting elements uh drew has certainly strum struck fear into mm-hmm. many of his opponents now Definitely. that he comes out with the claymore and slams it mm-hmm. down like he is 
you know, slamming Excalibur back into the stone. Yeah, for sure. Like, it's it's a it's a massive sword. Mm-hmm. And while we are talking about Drew's accessories, when <laughs> we go to the main event, it was very thematic. Right. And I will get into the wardrobe theming once okay. we get there because okay. they made choices. Yes. Yeah. For sure. So the segment winds up with AJ being involved in the retelling of Miz's storybook. And AJ's bodyguard, Omos, O-M-O-S, is his name. Uh, is it Omos or Almos? It's Omos. It's O-M-O-S is how it is spelled, according to WWE. <laughs> oh. um, not to confuse with Andrade Almas, yes. which is a L M A S. Um, but of course they drop everybody's last name in WWE so that you only go by one name. Yeah. Until they, they decide to change. That. Exactly. They pulled it off with Matt Riddle this week and they're only calling him Riddle now for what reason. I don't know. I don't know either. Considering he doesn't come out in green spandex with purple questions. Nothing, but we did actually get a great riddle me this line in oh, this week's episode that of is Raw. Fair. We also got the bro nut though, yes. so it's it's here and there. But so we'll go back to the opening segment and AJ's bodyguard um is kind of glossed over in the retelling of Mrs. Story, which AJ does not like at all. So there's kind of that rift then between AJ and Miz. But all of this breaks down eventually when Sheamus comes in, interrupts, and attacks AJ. And that sets up our second segment of Raw, which is a match between the Celtic warrior Sheamus and the phenomenal one, AJ Styles. See, is there is there a reason AJ wants to fight everybody from Europe? Like, yeah, I, I I have no idea. I guess he's just he's he's a good old boy from Georgia, so that it makes sense, right? Well, yeah, yeah, he's a good old boy from Georgia, and he's gotta he's gotta fight the fella. Yeah, he's gotta fight you yeah. know anyone who just claims to have bar brawls all the time, right? And I mean, you know, without the mohawk, Seamus has become pretty intimidating yeah i must say like i think they're using sheamus in this sense like his buddy buddiness with drew mcintyre the champion and like just coming in kind of fighting all of the so to say faces or people that are particularly popular um like yeah he's kind of leaning face in this feud but i think they're using this to kind of eventually turn sheamus back to heel uh, and it's been really interesting, but uh, let's talk a little bit about the match between Sheamus and AJ. Did you have anything on that? They're both excellent in-ring competitors. Mm-hmm. Like they're they they're they're squ- their skill is undeniable. They're both really good. They they work really well mm-hmm. with whoever they're in the ring with. So overall, it was a good match. Right. Um, I think it really was just kind of a way to to give. AJ some screen time. Agreed. And maybe that is just to give him a boost yeah. prior to the pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, I love Sheamus. Right. But he doesn't really have anything going on. He doesn't yeah. really matter to this storyline. Exactly. So yeah. it's, it's, it's more of just a way to, to boost AJ. Miz and Morrison, they matter because right. Miz has the briefcase. Correct. So that makes sense yeah. why they're included in this. Plus, I'm sorry, who, who would you rather have opening your show? Than the Miz yeah, parody. I mean, 
parrot being like, given the holiday season i kind of agree with absolutely. you absolutely yeah. like the miz is just fantastic they're, tv they're t- miss tv yeah they're there are two people who could really pull off a parody of Twas the Night Before Christmas. Sure. And that's Bray Wyatt, who mm-hmm. we will get to because I have lots of thoughts. Oh, yes. Excellent tonight. And and The Miz. Yeah. So you, you're going for the humor angle still. Mm-hmm. And it, they, they did a good job. So the match was good. Yeah. But not unnecessary, but it was really just a win for AJ, which I think Make speaks. him look strong before yeah. the pay-per-view. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the things that I have for that match were pretty much echoes of what you just said. But AJ Styles just has this routine ability of being the best person on the roster, no matter where he goes. And he gets great matches out of literally everyone. Like, you're right. Sheamus hasn't had anything going on for weeks, for months. It's been a long time. It's pretty much since they broke up the bar. Sheamus yeah. and Cesaro. I mean, he had that stint with Jeff, but... He had that... That awkward feud with Jeff Hardy on SmackDown for a while. And it just, like, this match reminded me that Sheamus is actually a good wrestler. Like, we lose sight of that because so much of his stuff is bro and fella and the kick and everything. And we and we get that, too, with Sheamus now. But this match was actually really good. And it was a nice way to start Raw uh, after that opening segment. Um, so eventually AJ Styles winds up um, attacking Sheamus's injured leg throughout the match. And uh, Sheamus goes up on the middle rope, tries to do an attack, and AJ stops him, uh, attacks the, the leg, and gets a stack up for the pin. I was so shocked that there was no finisher in the actual finish of this match. We didn't get a phenomenal forearm. We didn't get a Styles clash. We got a brogue kick for a false finish from Sheamus. Right. But eventually this match was really just not making AJ look like super special because they saved that for the end of the show. Instead, this was about showing that he is the crafty one and that he knows he's that veteran that can play all of the different angles. I, I loved it. The only other note that I had out of this match was I usually love Samoa Joe on commentary. I think him being on commentary has been fantastic since they moved in there. Again, another wrestler that they have nothing for, which is shocking because Samoa Joe is crazy talented. But this was his worst match on commentary ever he like, was probably too focused on wendy like God, let's let's be real it was so bad he he's talking at one point in the match about weapons and we all know that tables ladders and chairs imagine that the pay-per-view title are weapons to be used in wrestling matches you don't say but they aren't referred to as weapons by samoa joe they're implements what, what is an implement? Why, that's not a regular noun. No. An implement. So he calls, he calls them implements that we're likely to see on Sunday. No, duh. It's a TLC match. And then he directs his focus to almost AJ's bodyguard and says that, in fact, the most dangerous implement of them all is, in fact, not even a weapon. It's a human being. It was just not a good, not a good moment for Samoa Joe. No, no, absolutely not. But you know, just 
to, you know, devil's advocate a little bit. I'm going to give him mm. a, like, maybe he said instruments mm. and mm. it didn't come through very maybe. well. Or like maybe. maybe he. I was pretty sure that I heard implements. I, that's the thing though, right? Like we can criticize Samoa Joe on commentary all night long, but like. We all knew what he was saying. Yeah. We, it was it was not a moment that took away from the match or took away from what he was saying. It's it was just funny to hear oh, yes. implement as opposed to like okay, you're clearly talking about weapon and I would have liked, you know, like an X factor type analogy here yeah. that that you have all of this destruction at your disposal, but you may not even need it because you have a 7 foot tall huge bodyguard that's ultimately going to protect you. And he played a role. That bodyguard played a role in the match. He played a role in the Nightmare Before TLC telling. He played a role in the main event then. Well, now, so, that, now that AJ knows that he speaks English, since that is something we learned only a couple of couple weeks ago. A couple weeks ago, yeah, right. They're, you know, they're <laughs> that was a good of course, thanks. Of course, of course he's more involved. And, and you're absolutely right. It is... It is hilarious to have that that little flub by Joe. Like, yeah. Like, I'm probably going to run around now saying everything is a musical implement. Like, yeah, <laughs> right, Like, it's right. just what it is. Exactly. But you know, the, the destruction and the brutality that is coming mm-hmm. out of AJ and Drew come Sunday mm-hmm. is, it it's going to be a lot. Yeah, no, they did a good job of selling the match on Sunday, yeah. which is ultimately the goal. Um, afterwards, we got kind of a cool moment with Sheamus trying to attack. The bodyguard steps in. And for wrestling fans, you'll know that the Tree of Woe is, like, inverting your opponent on the turnbuckle. We kind of got that, but instead of it being in the corner in the turnbuckle, it was with the ring ropes. So that was really cool. Sheamus is kind of, like, hanging upside down outside of the ring. And... Uh, the bodyguard fetches a chair for AJ, and we get repeated chair shots, and that's how we go to the first commercial. Yeah. Um, so it, it, they did a really nice job. Uh, you'd expect nothing less from AJ Styles. Of he course. is the phenomenal one. Yes. So, um, yeah, I, I think we're ready to go into the next segment. So what happened next? Yeah. Um, okay. So we just got really excited on this podcast, right? And it yes. was a really good bit. It was great. Now... We get to the part of Raw where it's like, yes, this show is three hours long. And if you're going to cut it down to two, let me tell you what you need to cut. Yes. Because it's segment three and four. We had backstage a segment interview something odd situation with the Hurt Business uh, for our listeners, that's going to be veteran MVP. It's going to be up-and-comer in the cruiserweight division, Cedric Alexander. Fantastic. Then we have another veteran of the business, Shelton Benjamin. Not as good as the Once Upon a Time Golden Shorts, but right. still great. And then, of course, my new personal favorite, Baldy Lashley. Uh, yes, yeah. I want to talk about... Baldy, aka Bobby, here yes. for a second. Yes. So they terrorize this poor guy at at catering mm-hmm. or whatever it is that right. he's at, and he's eating the bro nuts. Oh my god! You know, you know, gifted from uh, Matt, Matt Riddle, Riddle, the original bro. Yes, we we will we will dive deep into those. <sighs> nope, that is a poor turn of phrase. 
We wow. will discuss those bro nuts <laughs> here yeah. in a moment. But while this poor intern or mm-hmm. whoever he is. Crew guy. Yeah. Whatever like they, was going they terrorize on. him for a little bit. You know, everybody gives everybody a hard time. Well, not everybody. These guys give everybody a hard time. Right. And so it seems as though things are going to be calm and fine. Mm-hmm. And then for whatever reason, Bobby pours like a half a gallon out of a carton of milk yeah. on this guy's head. Completely. Covers himself, too, in yeah. the milk. The rest of the segment, he's wiping his suit yeah. to, like, get the I, excess yes. milk off of him. It was just it it, terrible. But I did think it was funny that the camera, if you'll notice, it shows mm-hmm. him wiping himself off to begin with, and then it pans yep. so that he's out of out the of shot frame. Yeah. so that they can wipe him down, and yep. it pans back. And hes they didn't even get it all. Like, no. if you're going to take him out of the but shot... But they, they did a relatively okay job of cleaning him up. Because <laughs> like, I, I What I wrote down about this segment was... I said, if only this segment was as good as the Hurt Business looked. Because all of them standing oh, there in those suits... They looked so good. They looked great, right? Like a tall glass of milk in this case. Yes. But uh, <laughs> but really, this segment was awful. I, I mean, it had no direction. It was poorly thought out. Yeah. It, the lines were not delivered well. I wrote down also that MVP is the only one in this uh, faction that can talk. Like, do not give any of the other ones no, a microphone. Don't give not. Shelton Benjamin the microphone. No. Don't give Baldy Lashley the microphone. Don't give Cedric Alexander the microphone. He's not ready yet. Like, no. he has potential, but he's, he's not, not there yet. Give it to MVP and don't do anything else. Yeah. Don't go to catering. Don't go backstage. Put them in the ring. And that's it. I don't yeah. want to see any more. No. But, uh, MVP is smooth. Mm-hmm. Smooth yep. on the mic. Yep. Like, it, it's... It always sounds better than it actually is. Right. Like, what he said, eh. He went on a tangent about Matt Riddle. Right. And nobody nobody cares yeah. about that right now. Nothing. I'm still so confused about who they're actually feuding with. Are they feuding with Jeff? Are they feuding with well, Matt Riddle? Are they feuding with the New Day? Like, what's going on? That's the thing, right? You have to keep into context. This entire show is building us towards TLC. That's the big money event. There are going to be several matches for titles on the show. So we have set up the Hurt Business versus the New Day for the tag team titles. And we have Baldy Lashley facing, I believe, Matt Hardy, or excuse me, Jeff Hardy for... Great if it was Matt. Yeah, it would be great. I would I'd delete Baldy <laughs> Lashley. That's what I'm saying. But uh, I think it's Jeff Hardy for the United States title. And so... <laughs> like, that's what we're building towards. So the next segment, and really these two segments are back-to-back. They're, like, not even three minutes long, um, and they set up a match that happens immediately after. But we go right into the next segment, which is the New Day backstage with Jeff Hardy and Matt Riddle. And we get kind of the same thing. It's just marginally better because the new day is pretty good on the mic. Yeah. It it was not a good segment. I I want to like Matt Riddle. I really do. Mm-hmm. And like I know that he has the whole like yo chillax mm-hmm. California surfer. Like I I know what his thing is. But right. In my opinion it's not good. Like it I yeah. find him annoying. Yeah. 
Um, I think that he can fit that comedy role. Yeah. And and we see that, we see that later, later on in the show. Yeah, and I actually sure. had good comments about his comedy later, specifically in dealing with Bray Wyatt. Oh, yes. But and Huskis. Overall, you're right. This Matt Riddle thing is just stale. There's nothing to it. It's pretty flat. Like, I, I wrote down on this one, like, Riddle can't decide if he's replacing Big E or Matt Hardy. No. Be, because he's broing out with Jeff. He's broing out with the New Day. And, like, you can even see it on Xavier Woods' face yeah. during the promo. He's like, um, I need something more from my writing team because there's this, nothing here. Yeah. <laughs> I did, I was excited to see that since, you know, spoiler alert if you didn't watch... Uh, Jeff is mm. tagging with the New Day right? Um, in their match tonight right. on Raw against um, the Hurt Business, the Hurt business yep. minus MVP. Correct. Um, but they, you know, they were all matchy-matchy. Like, Jeff had the really cool, yep. like, blue and yellow face paint and the bell, and the New Day had their blue and yellow gear on. So, like, it was really cool, and they have good chemistry together. They have a good dynamic. They, yeah. they it works. Agreed. Riddle just felt awkward. Yeah, well, he was... So the reason why they did that is because they were planning this six-man tag. It was Kofi, Xavier, and Jeff going against Shelton, Cedric, and Baldy. And they just, like, they they knew MVP would be the manager of the Hurt Business. So they were like, how do we even the odds? Let's throw in Riddle. And... Yeah, like, there isn't chemistry there. They haven't been working on this angle for a long time. No. It's just... Let me tell you, the tag team division on Raw is incredibly weak. And they don't have anybody there that you're looking at, oh, yeah, they could be, um, you know, like a rising star, somebody, like, on their way up. They don't have any of that. No, they got rid of all that. Exactly, when they did the draft. So there's, like, they just have to delegate all of this airtime to the Hurt Business because they built this faction. Yeah. They have to dedicate all this time to uh, Retribution, which we'll get into later, which oh, is god-awful. God. Um, and they have this one, like, absolute horse to pull the show, which is the New Day, which I, I love the New Day, but there's nothing there. Like, this match reminded me, like... Oh my gosh, the New Day is so much better when they have an Usos to go against. Yes! When they, when they have the bar to go against. Like, those rivalries were exciting and made you care about tag team wrestling. Yeah. And this match that happened, it, it was just like, there was really good action back and forth. Yeah. Immediately after the commercial break. Um, which comes after Cedric tags himself into the match and Baldy Lashley is just like really upset about it. So they go to commercial and they come back and it's actually a good match. And then that comes to a halting stop uh, when Baldy gets back in the ring and, and involves himself. And it's not, that, it's not that Lashley is not a good wrestler. In fact, I think the best part about Bobby Lashley is his wrestling, oh, yeah. his power, his strength. But it's just, it doesn't matter anymore. And I think that this match in particular made me so upset at what Raw is giving the fans. Yeah. Because there's just... It's like they know their show is too long, and so they are throwing us the scraps 
from the Thanksgiving dinner table, and they've been keeping them in Tupperware containers for the last month. Exactly. So that they can use them again for Christmas dinner. Exactly. It's just it's, not it's good. It's not good. And, like, my no- my notes on this, mm-hmm. on the whole thing. Yeah. I- including um, MVP's match with Riddle. Mm-hmm. Which was, comes later in the yeah, night. Yeah, it does. But I, I included all of my notes in the same, because they're gotcha. it all just echoes yeah. each other. Yeah, yeah. Um, so as I said, the new day, the new day and Jeff look great. Right. And that they made the hurt business specifically Bobby Lashley Mm -hmm. look really, really strong. Yes. Like almost, almost unbeatable. Right. Because you're right. Bobby's strength is absolutely what they play to. Like the hurt lock is, they have done an excellent job building that. The one finisher that they've protected out of all of the stars they have, yeah. it's not the phenomenal forearm. It's not the claymore. It's not anything like that. They have protected the hurt lock we'll from see. Bobby Lashley. We'll see if they continue to protect yeah. it on well, Sunday. Well, and I think they kind of heightened it tonight as a way to like give us that shock value at TLC. Because I think you're going to see a lot of retained titles. Yeah. I think the one title that might change, or w- one title that would be most likely to change, could be that U.S. title. We need some life. And if Hardy could beat him, or yeah. at this point, if anybody could beat the Hurt Business, that would be a gift yeah. for Monday night. Absolutely. And like my... The only other comments I had on it were just questions that we've you know talked about a little bit already. Right. So like I said, like why, like why bring the new day into this? Mm-hmm. Like why involve them yeah. with Bobby's feud with Jeff? Yeah, and it really is just because they have the pay per view on Sunday, yeah. and that's that is who's facing, and they're facing Shelton and yeah. Cedric for the because that's title. all they have. So like yeah. it's it protects the feud between Jeff and Bobby, and it right. also like continues. Not continues. It just it establishes at least a little bit of something. Yeah, I mean you still got to sell Sunday. the night, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, so the Hurt Business winds up winning by submission. Lashley pulls Hardy off of the top turnbuckle directly into the Hurt Lock. And um, and and thank goodness that's what ends that yes. segment for the night. Because uh, we, we've already spent too much time on it. So yeah. let's just leave it there yes. and see what happens Sunday. What? Yes, <laughs> absolutely. So goody goody, tell us what happened next. Yeah, so next we go straight backstage and we have Lana and Asuka, which I love the women's division. I, I love so it on both feelings. shows. <laughs> I have so many feelings. Um, but Lana is again scared of Nia Jax. She doesn't want to face her. Last week we saw Asuka give her a pep talk. This week we get another Asuka pep talk and... At the end of this segment, Lana finally believes that she can, in fact, beat Nia Jax. Uh, Similar to segments three and four, we had them back to back, and we get Lana versus Nia Jax immediately after that segment. There might have been a commercial in between. No. I I don't remember. There was not. I have so many feelings. It went straight to Lana, Lana, Nia Jax, which was a very short match with an even more surprising finish. And I can see the fumes building on your face right now. So I'm just going to toss it over to you. Okay. And let's let's hear. What do you have on this? I have so many feelings. Okay. (laughs) So first of all, they make make Lana look like a lost 
child who is mm-hmm. deadly ill. Mm. Like they make her look <laughs> that weak. Yeah. Yes. In regards do. to Naya, like mm-hmm. there isn't just like it, it's not just intimidation. It's right. not just like. I know if I'm still new to this, like I've never really faced her. Like right. she keeps putting me through tables. Yeah, like, they which they reference nonstop through the show that Lana's been put through a table nine straight weeks well, by Nia Jax. I'm sorry, it's true. Um, it, I mean, it is true, but it's like it's not it's good. for what Noth- purpose? Nothing because they don't have anything right. else because they make her look mm-hmm. like she can't do anything right and and now all this to to throw in this reminder right that lana is this like sideshow act that's being grouped with oscar but let's remember right this is setting up a title match between lana and oscar against nia jackson shayna baszler who are the women's tag tag team champions but you forget in this giant mess of a story that Asuka is the Raw Women's Champion. And I yeah. was just thinking about this earlier. But the last time we saw Asuka, the champion, in a good feud for that championship, she was facing Sasha Banks, who is now the SmackDown Women's yeah. Champion. So it has been months on end where they have done nothing with the Raw Women's Champion. They have also not had any mid-card storylines with women involved. So there's nobody left on the roster that looks even somewhat competent to be able to face Asuka, which is why they're in in this predicament in the first place, and they can't have Asuka versus anybody at TLC. No, they can't. We have to have this sideshow. But wait, there's more. Mm -hmm. So, like I said, they're making Lana look awful. Yes. But it almost works. It almost works. Because Lana <laughs> Lana is really, really good at playing that oh, woe is me mm-hmm. character. Yep. And Asuka, surprisingly, yeah. is fantastic at the believe in yourself, you can do it, you know, mantra kind of stuff. Right. So, like, it, it, it is almost working. Yeah. And... They're keeping Asuka incredibly strong by not having her do anything else. Yeah, I I mean, I get that, but I would like at least some singles content from her. Oh, I agree. There is not, and we haven't seen it, like I said, since months ago, three, four months ago when it was her, Sasha, Bailey, which... That wasn't even about Asuka and the Raw Women's Championship. It was about the breakup of Sasha and Bayley. So we have had no content for the Raw Women's Championship in a long time. And it doesn't look like there's any future. Like, Like, the only thing that I think that we're going for here is somebody big, a Charlotte Flair, a a, a Becky Lynch, to come back, win the Royal Rumble, and challenge Asuka for the title. I agree. Because th- right now there is nothing on no, this roster. No, there really isn't. And we saw Dana get squashed by Shayna and, and that's as well. What, we'll, get, we'll get to that in a minute. nothing going on here. We'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> but back to, back to this match between Lana and Nia. So we get so, the surprise finish, right? Yeah. And yes. Lana, s- Lana wins. stacks up Nia Jax in the corner. Lana uh, wins. For the pin. She wins. She's shocked. 
Shayna attacks Asuka backstage. Nia attacks Lana after the match. And Shayna eventually comes out and bends Lana's leg completely yes. backwards. Um, I, I, I will mention for our listeners, this is storyline. This is not a, a move gone wrong, no. a botch. This is not a problem. This was written by the writers. Yes. They said, you know what? We're taking Lana out of TLC. Because she can't do anything. Because she can't do anything. So my, my comment on that is I, I have two. Mm-hmm. So first of all, yes, Lana got the surprise win, but they managed to maintain Nia's strength yes. through the attacks after the match was Definitely. officially done. Definitely. Um. And so I don't know if I had looked away or what, but like I missed the the attack mm-hmm. on Asuka via Shayna. Right. But even with that, yeah. Asuka took way too long right. to get out there. Like it was too there was there was too much right. of the attack or yeah. the onslaught right. on Lana before Asuka finally got out there. Yeah. And then Asuka gets out there and doesn't do anything. Right. So now, like, they, like Nia and Shayna just kind of left. Yeah, Oscar was there to you know, you know, cradle and comfort Lana. Right. However, later, mm-hmm. when Shayna is attacking Dana mm-hmm. after the match, Oscar and Mandy are there in a flash. In a flash, yeah. It's it's interesting how they're doing things because Dana and Mandy are in this odd like bottle blonde bombshell yeah. type tag team. And so their their relationship has been at least given some content. But Asuka, and this goes back to the problem, they haven't done anything with her. So why are we supposed to believe that she's going to come out and help anybody? Exactly. Lana maybe Fair. would be the most likely. Right. But why is she coming out? Because all of a sudden she has a one-on-two handicap match or she has to find a mystery tag opponent yeah. for a... Uh, for yeah, TLC, officially been ruled I, out. it it was just what they've done with the women's division, similar to the tag division. They it's don't have bad. many options. It's just they bad. just don't have options. So from that mess, what what did Raw transition to next? So the I think they go to commercial uh, in between the attacks. So they get uh, the attack on Oscar. They finish the match after commercial break, and then there's the attack on Lana. Then I know for a fact they go to commercial because we come back, the screen is dark, they lower the lights, and all of a sudden you hear a single solo strum of the guitar, and here comes Elias with the Forgotten Son, who, I, I, honestly, let's just call him the Forgotten Son because he deserves to be forgotten. Yes. Jackson Riker is all of a sudden with him. I, and uh, <laughs> boom, we get a... Impromptu yes. concert from yes. Elias. I have only one question for you. <laughs> okay. Only All right. one. All right. Why does Elias still get spots? I, I I wish I had the answer to that question because I I, I, I think that's really the review of this show is like why? Yeah. Just like why? Because but, they, they, they don't do anything with Elias for months and now all of a sudden he's back. Like, he had his feud with Jeff Hart. Everybody that disappears has a has a small 
feud with Jeff Hardy. Hey. That's the sign that you are going into oblivion. It's kind of, I mean, he does delete people. Maybe that's good news for me, because right now the Hurt Business is in a feud yes. with Jeff Hardy. So maybe they'll go into oblivion, too. <laughs> that would be great. No, see, like, with, with Elias, the only person mm-hmm. he feuds well, the only person he does anything well yeah. against... Yeah is also not worthy of TV right now, mm-hmm. but it's Corbin. Yeah. Like, Corbin and Elias, the two of those, yeah. maybe it's just because they're both cranky-ass old men, but... Yeah, yeah. Like, they, they do really well together. Everything else is, like, why are you on the screen? Yeah, I... But we did get a surprise visit... Yeah. ...from the 24-7 champion, R-Truth. Yes, he interrupts, and then, uh essentially says no i'm not interrupting go ahead (laughs) and then the entire locker room filters out into the into the ring area and chases him around for the 24 7 title uh you know now for our viewers that again are new to wrestling or just getting acquainted with it or are just listening to hear us talk uh the 24 7 title is a belt that does not need a scheduled match in order to change hands. It's fair game 24-7. Yeah. And so whenever R-Truth shows up, you know that a flock of wrestlers is soon behind because they want to get this worthless uh, championship belt. Yes, but he has held it like over 30 times. Yeah, he no, he's the most decorated wrestler in WWE history because he's lost and won this belt so many times. It, it, it's just, it, it's a complete comedy gag. Absolutely. And, and it's worked, to be fair. Yeah. It has worked, and I, I think it has been funny. But to to put it in this segment and to put it with... I, See, I, 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 just I why? Cut disagree. it and make the show two hours. We did not need this. I Like, you're right, but I... I'm I gonna... put down worthless segment. It is, and Eli- <laughs> Elias was a worthless, worthless segment. Worthless segment. But I will, I will disagree with you slightly. Okay. Truth made it better. Yeah. Like, that's what saved it. Because, in my opinion, Truth is a gift. I agree. And there is no better 24-7 champion. Like, you're right. It absolutely is a comedy gag. Mm-hmm. But it's a good way to get those wrestlers who don't really see, but who might have, like, fun gimmicks and yes. stuff. Yeah. We get to see them, you know, for a flash in the pan. We get to see yeah. them for a minute. And Truth is just ridiculous. My only thing is, right, if you're going to have our truth in segment later why do we need this segment at all because elias and Riker did nothing for us the the there was no title change with the 24 7 belt You're right there was no there, there was no purpose and, 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 and it, it, it also odd note elias dedicated the performance to lana what like i don't understand i don't understand what's happening elias is not making good choices nobody's but. making good choices <laughs> But no, you're like you're you're. I understand the the question of like if you're gonna have him later, why have him now? And I think that really is just the beauty of the twenty four seven champion. Yeah, like that you you have to have that belt on multiple times in the show because it's not like a regular championship. Yeah, well, I think it would be better suited for YouTube, and it wouldn't even need to be in this three hour conundrum if this three hour conundrum was only a two hour conundrum. Ultimately, you're right, but. I like a truth spot. 
Well, we, we'll, we'll leave that there and head to our ninth segment. We are now officially halfway through Raw. For those of you that don't have any concept of how long Raw really takes, it, it's a nightmare. Um, but we get an interesting segment backstage between Miz and Morrison. Um, so Miz is upset that AJ Styles said that Miz would be an easier win. AJ was encouraged, wanted um, Miz to cash in on Drew so that AJ could then beat Miz for the championship. And uh, it, it, these two have such great chemistry with one another, Miz and Morrison. Hey, hey. M- ho, ho. <laughs> right. Miz and Morrison. And Morrison agrees with AJ. So so here you have his best friend being super upset because this guy said something negative about you. And your best friend is going, well, he's kind of right. Like, let's be real. Beating you would be easier than beating Drew McIntyre. And, and, and then he wraps it back around and says, well, look at it this way. Wouldn't you rather beat AJ than beat Drew? Like, don't you want AJ to win the belt on Sunday so that you can beat AJ for it? Then you don't even have to touch Drew McIntyre. It, it, was, it was a really nice, small segment backstage that was had nothing to do with the champion, in all honesty, but built your champion. Yeah. Your champion is the strength. You have this weasel in the corner trying to steal the belt from whoever lays claim to it. And you also have probably the best technical wrestler you've had since Shawn Michaels, AJ Styles, like, you know, as the number one threat trying to goad the weasel into getting involved and screw the champion. It, it just, it built every single aspect. And you could tell throughout the show that the main event on Sunday should be Drew McIntyre and AJ Styles. Yeah, for sure. Um, so then we get Keith Lee winding up interrupting this segment. Yeah. And that's where this goes it south. It got weird. It, it was fine, but it put Raw in the same spot that they've been with Keith Lee for the last two months, and it boxes them into a hole. Keith Lee is one of the most talented. I am a huge Keith Lee fan and supporter, and he needs way more opportunities than what he's getting. Yeah. And they feel forced to give him these opportunities. So they throw him in segments, but they throw him in segments that have no positive outcome for Keith Lee. He... uh flips a coin and asks Miz and Morrison to call it. The winner, the winner of the coin toss gets to not face Keith Lee. Well, the problem is the Miz, being the jokester he is, calls the coin before it's even flipped. Morrison, being the complete comedy act that he has turned into, calls the exact same thing that Miz called when the coin's in the air. All of this to boot, we have the worst coin flip in the history of coin he flips. Into his chest. He, he he flips it and fumbles it a little, but kind of saves it, and the coin didn't actually turn like at all. 
I, I wrote down on my paper, I said, this was Super Bowl bad. I don't know if anybody watches sports that's listening to us, but there was a Super Bowl where they had to flip the coin twice because the first flip of the coin didn't flip. On national TV, everybody watches the Super Bowl. The coin flip didn't work. Whoever flipped the coin did a terrible de- That was Keith Lee's coin flip. It was awful. Atrocious. So... In, in, instead of saving this segment at, at all, they go with what was written, which is a two-on-one handicap match. So we get both of them against Keith Lee. And that, uh, that takes me right into the next thing, which is when their match starts. I, I, I said, WWE strikes again with nightmare booking. They are backed into a corner with a rising star in Keith Lee and their current money in the bank holder. There's nowhere to go because making Miz look strong or opportunistic crushes what people think of Keith Lee. Yeah. And sure, it's two on one, so you don't expect Lee to win, but this is an opportunity. Like, just to that exact point, Keith Lee winning a handicap match against the Money in the Bank holder and his Goonie. That that completely changes things for Keith Lee and puts him on an upward trajectory. Right. But they can't do that because they're building the main event for TLC. And they have to make Miz look strong. So they wind up they, they get the uh they get the win over Keith Lee because essentially if Lee had won, it would completely ruin everything. Ruin the image of, of Miz and the contract, yeah. which they can't afford to do. I was I was confused. Yeah. I really was. I was like, when, when Keith came in, I was like, oh, cool. Right. And then nothing good happened. Nothing. And, and that's the thing. Every time you see Keith Lee, you get excited. And then you see what happens, and you're immediately depressed. I was so sad. Yep. So that's that's the story with Keith Lee, Miz and Morrison. Also, Miz and Morrison being featured on the show Four times is a little much in my taste, but I, but they I are good enough to carry it, yes. and I'm not going to complain about a bad show putting good people on. I'm certainly not going to complain about a bad show putting attractive people on. <laughs> That's, that I, is fair. Yes, that is very fair. I'm a huge John Morrison fan. Both so in ring and out. Well, that's fair, and uh, obviously we're big Survivor fans as well, yes. so John Hennigan winds up on survivor a very good season i might add so um uh but but back to raw we'll talk about the next segment which is the firefly fun house and their field trip to the thunderdome so the thunderdome being the location in which wwe is housing all of their shows um and we have bray wyatt this odd like blues clues type uh host yes you know he he created this fun house but it's professional wrestling so it's a little bit warped because bray wyatt is the alter ego or other persona behind the fiend and the fiend is this terrifying monster that lurks in the shadows and destroys thing you know correct you know go ahead go ahead how dare you say his name they've made him voldemort they just say him Him. yeah (laughs) even even randy orton in this segment winds up saying it wasn't you bray 
that got the better of me. It was him. And it's just, I loved this segment, yeah. by the way. I thought it was a great segment. But you're totally on the mark that he should not be named. The Fiend should, should not, not be, be named, named right? He should not be named. Like, that, yeah. That's what my note was. My only other note... Like, I have a couple of notes. Okay. I also thought the segment was really good. Bray on the mic mm-hmm. is fantastic. Yeah. However, I felt that it fell a little flat. Okay. It, it, it would have been better in the funhouse because, like, in yeah, in the funhouse, he actually interacts with his crazy animal friends. Right. Whereas they were just kind of awkwardly on the side, like right. Muppets right. this time. Yeah, Rambling just... Rabbit, Huskus, and the Buzzard were all ringside. And they piped in this, like, fake laughing noise yeah. that kind of... Like, when it's in the funhouse, it feels like a produced vignette. Yeah. But this, like, we could see it, it was live, and it just... You're right. It, it was, the, the audio yeah. didn't feel like it fit the the depth of the building if they had been in the ring with him even that could have been better but they felt like the the obviously the the, men from the mob they're 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 puppets so they they can't really be in the ring for for reasons like that but but the reason why from a production standpoint that this uh this happens in the ring is because randy interrupts via satellite video so that's how they show all of the Firefly Funhouse. They're pre-recorded, right? And they display them on the Jumbotron, right. so to speak. But in this case, they wanted Randy to be at a different location. So Randy was the one put on the Jumbotron. Absolutely. And so you needed the fiend Bray Wyatt yes. to be available inside the ring. Yes. My, um, own, my only other comments on it were that... Act- Excellent Christmas sweater. Oh, they did a great right. job plugging yes. their Christmas apparel yes. in they, this segment. They really did. Because they didn't mention it a single time, but it was so beautifully ugly that yes. it's all you could look at exactly. throughout the entire promo. And also, Bray does insane, creepy, mm-hmm. overall, just, he does crazy really, really well. And, he, and, but, and, they, and they know that. That's why all of his characters... Right. With the exception of Husky Harris, <laughs> are that trope. Like, right. They are that kind of character. For sure. Um, and that plays so well against Randy. Yeah. Who, when he pipes in, right. again, goes on his spiel about not being outmaneuvered very often. Right. And, like, you know, he kind of hypes the fiend, which is how you build the fiend. For sure. And then he goes straight into horror movie and he's like, Bray want to play a game yeah want to play a game that, that was what i wrote down was it reminded me of that classic line yeah and so the way that this works out I'll, I'll just give a brief summary about it bray comes out to the ring and he's joking around he's kind of trying to agitate uh randy orton which his nickname is the viper and so in order to do this this fun house character says I'm going to tell some jokes, and he tells a couple of Viper puns that feature, uh, you know, you should measure Vipers in inches because they have no feet. Um, you know, how do Viper, or, you know, how do snakes like to, uh, you know, clear the rain? And the answer is windshield Vipers. So, like, it, it's cute. It's funny. It's totally, it is totally the fun house feel yeah 
but it's missing because it's not in the fun house. Right. So Randy then interrupts via satellite video, and he knows that this fun house character, Bray, cannot refuse a good time. So he offers him a game of hide-and-go-seek. It was a great interaction between the two. Yeah. And the segment ends with Bray Wyatt searching for Randy Orton. How do you, how do you play hide-and-seek with Randy? Like, Randy Keith Orton, how do you play hide-and-seek with that man? Yeah. His finishing move is literally out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to not be able to see him. Yeah, that's a very good point. That's a very good point. And, and we'll get into what winds up happening, which was clearly the best part yes, of the show. absolutely. Between the best thread them. of the show. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Um, but uh, instead of going right into it, they instead decide to throw up a garbage squash match between Ricochet and Mace. Mace is this character out of Retribution who we talked about briefly earlier in the podcast. But Retribution, led by Mustafa Ali, is essentially just a foot gang with masks on. And they just cause mayhem and have been doing so for several weeks. You know, probably a couple months maybe by now. And uh, it's just completely flat. Nobody likes it. Nobody cares. And they put it against probably one of the most talented people they have in Ricochet. Which is is why my comments were, does Retribution matter? No. Are they trying (laughs) to recruit new members? Yes. And why is WWE going to do Ricochet like that? Like, why are you going to do him like that? Completely squashed him. I couldn't believe it. This was somebody that was like, like... Bigger than that Keith Lee rising star. Yeah. Last year. And now has just completely fallen into this despair. The one thing that I put was that Ali versus Ricochet could be great. That could be good. And Ali teaming with Ricochet could be great. If they do either of those things, I guess I'll look back on this squash match and give it a little bit more of a thumbs up. But this was just dumb. It it yeah. didn't fit. I mean, they gave Ricochet a few good moments by having him take out the other two. When... But any time you have an athlete of his caliber in a match that lasts less than five minutes long, that yeah. it's just disrespectful. It especially when he loses to somebody with no name. Right. No, like, this This is Mace. Not to be confused with Mace Windu, who's no. actually good at destroying if it was Mace from Windu, the inside. If it was Mace Windu, I would feel totally different about this segment. Purple lightsaber and all, I would feel so much better. Yeah, like, we're not going up against Samuel L. Jackson here. No. But, uh, so then we have that segment ending. It was a cheap match. Nobody cares. Uh, we have... A commercial break, we come back from commercial break, and Bray is looking for Randy Orton backstage. And (laughs) so Bray corrects Matt Riddle, Matt Riddle's thing, he's the original bro, and so he said, hey bro, and Bray actually delivers a really funny line, he says, it's Bray, not bro. (laughs) And uh, that was great. We have the the, um, dry erase board of pronouns and it's a venn diagram that makes no sense it's got matt riddle stuff on one side nonsense on the other and then the middle part where the circles overlap is somewhat highlighted and he says that's our target audience and he's pitching this for the fun house and bray's like bray's reaction is the way every fan watched that 
Yes. Go down? Absolutely. Um, no. <laughs> That's what he said. Um, no. no. <laughs> I've, I've got too much to worry about. Exactly. And so he goes on um, continuing to look for Randy. Meanwhile, Rambling Rabbit is told by Riddle that he looks like Baby Yoda. So I wrote down Baby Broda. <laughs> yeah, that's what he called him. Right. And then... And he signs a carrot. We're going to have... In wrestling, there is the five-second pose. We are going to have the five-second pause. He signed a carrot. And talked about to, the Brona. He tried to sell, not sell, but like, he tried to get Bronuts. Yeah. To a puppet. Yeah, it, it, it's it's a rabbit puppet with buck teeth. And it takes the carrot, nibbles on it a couple times, and then, like, you see the Sharpie pen wiggling. So we assume that it's a, it's an autograph being signed for... For a former UFC fighter in Matt Riddle. <laughs> and as goes with the show, one bad, one bad segment leads to another. So we get Dana Brooke versus Shayna Baszler. Why? <laughs> yeah. I, I understand putting Shayna in a match because usually like the two kind of go in hand. Nia was in a match and it was a squash. Yeah. Shayna's, Shayna's in a match and it's a squash. And... Normally, yeah, I get that, right? And I know that they can't bring in like NXT, right? Bot, like, not bot, like newbies. It would be like, so much better, but they can't, but they can't, so right. they have to use what's on their roster. Mm hmm. And they went with Dana, yep. There was no lead up, there was no nothing, like, even a segment with Dana and Mandy, right? Prior to that match, what would have been better, yeah. Well, it's probably going to set up. A feud post TLC between the tag team champions and And Dana and Mandy. But like you said, why? Why? Why Why now? And the the number one thought that I had on this was how is this match longer than Ricochet versus Mace? It makes no sense. It's a bad choice. It It ended in DQ when Nia Jax came to Shayna's defense. And clubbed Dana Brooke in the back. And then out comes Mandy and Oscar With a kendo stick, no less. And, uh, yeah, it, it's just... it. Mandy was... comes out with the kendo stick and attacks. Asuka attacks Baszler afterwards. Like you said earlier, comes out a lot faster than, it was, than when yeah. Lana was and there. And it was during this segment that we learned that Lana wasn't going... To, or probably wasn't going to be able to... Be at TLC. Be at TLC, right. And I was like, okay, so I guess she's going to pick one of these two. Yeah. But if she doesn't, then I have even more questions about this segment. Yeah. Yeah. And and we're not going to get answers for a long time. No. <laughs> so, so, uh... And then I do believe we went from one squash to another. Uh, almost. Almost we went from one squash to another. We have Bray seeking backstage... Looking with our truth. Oh, yeah. Um, so our truth is talking backstage with Huskus. Yes. Uh, which was pure comedy. It Look it up fantastic. on YouTube. It was fantastic. Um, but eventually, Bray 
moves away from truth and finds like this old backyard kind of storage area it's weird um but the only thing that's in the room is the old Wyatt family rocking chair and this this segment is the best part of the show the best part of the show Randy Orton a, a couple of years ago is the one yeah. who went to the Wyatt family compound back when Bray Wyatt was even predating the the yeah. fiend and uh and he burns down the complex so in this room we have the old rocking chair and Bray goes and sits in it, and you see him kind of reminisce. But again, this is this happy-go-lucky character. So he's, like, kind of experiencing the darkness. And uh, all of a sudden, Randy Orton pops out from behind the chair. It was a great attack. Yeah. Gets him from behind and throws Bray in a old storage shipper. I'll notice that I, I rewatched it, and that storage shipper looks like it's been charred. It looks like it's from that Wyatt family compound. So it's a nice callback to that previous feud that they have. Absolutely. My callback to that feud that they have and um, for what Randy does after Mm -hmm. throwing Bray into that is that Randy Orton's a pyro. Oh, yeah. 100%. Man loves himself some fire. Bonafide pyro. Like, they're associating this (laughs) snake-like creature with the... It feels like an old Native American tale, you know, like yeah. like uh, how they got fire, and here is Randy Orton to give it to the world. Just straight up lights the damn thing on fire. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was really good. So he puts Bray inside, lights it on fire, and the commentary team does a great job. This was Samoa oh, Joe's yeah. best part. Absolutely, uh, they're talking about how inhumane it is and how unbelievable. You know, it's it's just this terrible act. It reminds me of the time that Taker got thrown into mm-hmm. a burning casket. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, so, nonetheless, though, Bray is burned alive, or is he? We, because we don't know. the fiend pops out of this box. Yeah, pushes and open a lid that is burning. That's burning. Like it's nothing. Yep. So we don't know if Bray's been saved or sent back to the funhouse or if he's burned alive or what. But the fiend comes out looking strong and like an animal for this uh, match that Randy and Bray are going to have at TLC. Yes. I I love a good mid-card non-title feud that feels main event big and that's what they've done with this feud they did a great job absolutely um so the fiend pops out mandible claws rko and that winds up ending this segment that would have been a great way to lead into what was actually the main event however (sighs) wwe made a different choice yep And, and 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 who who did they go to for this choice. They went back to the well of awfulness, which is MVP and the Hurt Business link there, and Riddle, and they had a bronut smash. And, and they squashed him. It was a complete squash. Riddle easily got the win, pinned MVP, and then ate a bronut, which was really, it's just a donut. It's a donut. It's That's li- it's all just, it is. It's just a glazed donut. 
and eats it on the way out. And and uh, in the meantime, Baldy Lashley uh, tends to MVP. No longer wearing his suit coat, I might add. No, no, completely. And uh, what, what, <laughs> I, I wrote down, tired of all of this. And eye rolls everywhere. Yes. It was so bad. I just wrote, they squashed MVP. Yep. Yep. They squashed him with a bro nut. <laughs> they squashed him with a bro nut. That's exactly right. Ugh. So, finally we get to the main event. We can wrap up this podcast on somewhat of a good note, yes. at least. Now, um, before we get into the wrestling of it. Okay. Let's have a uh, E! News moment. Okay. This is the uh, fashion segment of our podcast. So, let me just say, Drew was looking fly in his 90s kilt. Like, did you see all them chains? I did see the chains, yeah. So many chains and zippers. Yes. And then, AJ's bodyguard, almost, looked like a... Straight up like a 90s version of The Rock. He had the black turtleneck tucked in. He had the chain. That oldie classic picture of Dwayne The Rock Johnson with the the gold chain. All he was missing was the fanny pack. Yeah, I mean, seriously. It it was just a seven-foot version of that photo. (laughs) Unfortunately, though, nobody gave AJ this memo. So, like, yes, he had the stone-cold, like, Mm -hmm. leather vest or whatever, but... Yeah, but he he, was, he missed out on the nineties party. He was the only like, one because even Tom Phillips' suit in the ring was right? n- was la- that's, like that's classic yeah. off color. Like yep. I, you know, so that was our nineties themed party for mm-hmm. the ascension ceremony. Yeah, they called this an ascension ceremony because they literally lifted the belt. They had Drew take the belt off, put it on the rig. And uh, hoist it above the ring, symbolic of what we'll see Sunday when the title is draped across, you know, above the ring and the first person to retrieve it wins the title. Um, But yeah, weird, weird thing. Never thought I would see an ascension ceremony on uh, Monday Night Raw. But Tom Phillips was in the ring. He introduced AJ Styles first along with his bodyguard. And then um, Drew McIntyre didn't have a bodyguard with him, but did, in fact, have a Claymore sword, paying homage to his uh, Scottish roots. And his finishing move. And his finishing move, of course. Um, But the the thing that I loved about this segment was actually the build. They did a nice job of telling, what is this story? And so I will echo it to everybody listening. This is going to be potentially the first time that these two superstars are meeting one-on-one. And usually WWE wastes this. They usually throw that match away and they put it on regular programming. No, no, no. They learned. This time they're not doing that. They're going to have it at a pay-per-view, a big show that not everyone gets to see. There's yeah. there's hype, there's build, it's excitement. And it's this- the first time AJ Styles, Drew McIntyre, one-on-one, for the championship. Big time match. But of course, it wouldn't be enough just to build it. You got to add a little bit of a hook, a little bit of suspense, a little bit of, is it really? Because the whole lens of it is, will Miz cash in? Will there be a third member of this 
match. It might not only be AJ Drew is facing, if I'm remembering his quote correctly. Exactly. So, AJ paints this picture of a champion that can't handle the pressure. Drew lost the belt to Randy. Like, sure, he did a great job. He ascended the mountain, ascended, and got to the top, beat Brock Lesnar. Like, this was the crowning jewel of Drew McIntyre's career, and he let it slip away. He could get to the top, but he couldn't stay at the top. And Drew paints a different picture. He says, you're right. I got to it, and I thought that was my dream. I thought all I wanted to do was be champion. But losing it made me realize that my dream is to stay the WWE champion. And he said, um, you know, that beating Randy Orton again to win the belt back was that moment coming to fruition. And that he'll be damned if he's going to let AJ Styles take that away from him. And he said, so so we have AJ's belief, which is that Drew can't handle the moment. He's going to crumble, and AJ's a veteran, so of course he can handle the moment. Exactly. But Drew painted the picture of... He's the leader. He led WWE through their most tumultuous period through 2020. Uncharted waters was what he said. Which, of course, tied into the other thread of their story, which is that Drew has never been in a TLC match. So these are uncharted waters for Drew, but he doesn't... He's not intimidated by that moment. Exactly. Because he led WWE through the pandemic era. So to speak. He built a bridge over troubled water. There you go. Uh, So that's where the good stuff ends, is right there. Because all of a sudden, Drew takes the belt off, puts it on, and they start playing this corny music as they raise the belt. It is awful. It it, it feels... Maybe they were following the 90s memo because it looked awful. It was terrible. Um and AJ, that's when he delivers the line, what if it's not just me you're facing? So in come Miz and Morrison. They attack. AJ joins in. And McIntyre takes them all out. It looks amazing. He looked so strong in this moment. And I'm sitting here going like, oh, crap. Drew McIntyre is going to lose the title at TLC. And then. Insert almost the bodyguard who saves AJ from getting a Claymore by throwing the steel steps into the ring. Now, yeah, he's a seven-foot guy, but I do want to appreciate for a moment how impressive it is to have picked up steel steps, thrown them over the top rope and into the ring without actually injuring either competitor. Like, that was a risky move by WWE to put their talent that's carrying the pay-per-view in danger's way. But it was excellent. It it did such a nice job, and it gave almost that mystique that Samoa Joe was talking about of he's the most dangerous implement. Yes. So... That happens, and immediately AJ gets the upper hand. He takes out Drew, hits him with the phenomenal forearm, and then a beatdown with a ladder, a chair, and then eventually climbs the ladder, and elbow, elbow drops him through the table, which was really good to see. 
and then he poses with the belt as the show goes off yeah, the climbs air. Climbs up the ladder and takes the belt off. That is the epitome of a you're gonna lose. Oh, for sure. For sure, because usually what you can see in these ma- in these promos or matches right before the pay-per-view is whoever comes out on top looking the best in that moment is probably going to lose on Sunday. Right. But it's all about the storytelling, champions down. Which they have in the bag, Like They've done a great job telling that story, yes. and it was a nice way for the show to go off the air. They Absolutely. hit the beginning, they hit the end. They've got to figure out the middle. That middle was trash. So. But nonetheless, that will wrap up the Chamber Pod for our very first episode. We want to thank all of the listeners for tuning in, supporting us. We're excited to see where this new project takes us. And to be honest, we're just having a good time doing it. So, Amanda, do you have anything to uh, say to our viewers? We'll see you on Friday to talk about SmackDown. Alrighty, everybody. This has been the Chamber Pod with Shamanda. Everybody have a good night. Bye.